The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. Great. Well, uh, morning again. My name is John Neal. Uh, it's funny, as uh, an executive pastor at Hope, people often ask, you know, what, do you, what does that actually mean? Like, what do, you, what do you do? And there's really no great, we don't, we don't really have a great job description for it. I, I like to tell people that if, you know, if Cor and Steve are like the Batman and Robin of Hope, that I like to think of myself as the Alfred, you know, the, the guy who's just trying to make sure that they don't kill themselves or set the Batcave on fire or just, you know, make sure everything uh, comes out okay. Uh, as Steve mentioned, uh, I grew up... Uh, I grew up in Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota guy through and through. Grew up on farm, or uh, not to be that guy, but I was wearing flannel before it was cool. Uh, and so, uh, but pretty early on, my, my parents, I think, knew that wasn't my trajectory, uh, so much so that uh, you, you'll get a kick out of it. And this is, this is not made up. Uh, I, I don't know how they convinced me of this, but I used to think that my parents' receipts were actually money. And so I would, like, organize them and put them in different categories. And I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know if that was just sort of innate in me or if they convinced me to do that. If it was convinced, I'm like, that's a pretty good strategy going forward for kids uh, to think through. Uh, but I think they, uh, they knew pretty wrong that uh, I was going to go rogue. And so I ended up going uh, into business and got a degree in accounting. I was in public accounting for a short season. Uh, a little bit there, I... Uh, didn't really fit in. It wasn't really the best, uh, the best shape, if you will. Uh, uh, I made people feel a little uncomfortable. You know, when I was talking with clients, I would look at their shoes when talking versus my own. Uh, and so I didn't really fit with a lot of the other accountants. Uh, a little, a little too, too social in that regard. Uh, but then after that, as Steve mentioned, I, I spent a year overseas uh, uh, with, with Campus Crusade. Uh, that was an organization I was involved with heavily uh, during college. And then from there, uh, I'm actually also a product, much like core of Hope's leadership development process. And so sort of went through a, a, formal, a formal internship through there. And then as that went forward, an uh, opportunity came on to join staff. And then that eventually kind of morphed into, uh, into more of an executive pastor role, of which I've been serving in, yeah, since about 2012. So a little bit about me. Uh, and so I get the joy, I get the coveted spot of uh, financial responsibility, as you guys all saw. There, the, the one guy, the one guy. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sure that many of you were on the fence of coming to this conference, but then looked through the, you know, the breakout list and saw financial responsibility, and you're like, we got to go now. Like, that was the tipping point. No, uh, no, no. I, I, uh, no, and our desire today, is, as Steve kind of prefaced, um, we, we are going to talk about financial responsibility to a certain degree, but we're actually going to try to zoom out a little bit more in these next two sessions to really just talk through uh, systems, administration, things that you've heard a lot about uh, probably through the conference already, but really what we want to do is, though, though finances and resources are a part of that, uh, what we desire to do is, is to give more of a, uh, a zoomed-out approach of just how to think about it, how to kind of create a framework uh, to actually have these conversations. Uh, about administration, support, structures, systems, policies, procedures, all, all that jazz that, uh, that I'm guessing for most of you uh, are not why you got into ministry. Uh, obviously, I'm going to make a generalization, but I'm, I'm guessing when you hear about this topic, it's one that is actually more uh, or repulsive than, uh, than anything else. Uh, and so I get, again, the fun, the fun job. Uh, I'm kind of the rare breed of, I actually really, really love systems. Like, I'm a system guy through and through. And not, not in so much of the systems. Like, I don't care much for systems. But I've seen how much they can actually 
help an organization and how lacking of systems can actually kill it. And so that's why I'm, I'm, uh, I'm passionate about systems and why I want to, uh, my, my task is try to get you passionate about systems, uh, systems as well. Uh, and so today, uh, today we're gonna, it's going to be real simple. It's going to be uh, uh, the, the basis of, of the things I want to present is really just two analogies. And again, these are two analogies that in, in, in just my journey uh, at Hope and thinking this through and, and, and uh, processing through this have really been foundational for just creating a framework, not in only how I think this through, but on our staff, with our volunteers, with all of our leaders, how do they think through... Um, uh, again, policies, procedures, structure, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so the very first one, so I'll, I'll kind of take it in two chunks. Uh, the first one, again, is just framing, how do you have the conversation? How, how, how do you mentally, how, what is sort of your philosophy of administration in a lot of ways? Uh, and this, uh, I got to give credit where credit is due, because one of the more uh, influential uh, books in, in my journey with that is a, is a simple book called Trellis in the Vine. Uh, it's by... Uh, duo guys, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne, uh, came out around about, I think about 2009, so it's, it's, it's a, you know, not old but not new. And it's a great book, I, I suggest it, great read. Uh, to be honest, the, the, uh, the price of the book is, is worth it just in the front page, uh, both by the analogy that it comes, comes from it, and if you didn't get it in the picture, you get it from the title, Trellis and the Vine. Uh, and so the concept that they bring forth is that uh, again, they just kind of talk about this, this relationship between trellis and vine, that, that trellis is this supportive structure that actually is meant and built up to help foster vine growth, that the vine is, again, this living organization or organism uh, that's growing, and the, and the trellis is actually there to support, to help, to lift up, to actually foster growth in a lot of ways. And the analogy that, that comes from that is, is, is primarily in the administration, in that processes, uh, structure, support systems, conversation is, is the vine is the analogy of, of what God is doing in your church. It's that, that living, active, growing, life organic uh, substance that, that, uh, of what God is doing. And, and the trellis, this administration, support, all that comes with that is this supportive structure that is built to actually help foster vine growth. And so the, the, uh, the concept that I love primarily with this is that in a lot of realms, I feel like uh, uh, trellis and vine type conversations can almost seem like they're in opposition. It's like you kind of get the trellis guy on one table and then you get the, you know, the, the vine guy on the other side and they kind of have like a duo of uh, like, okay, who's going who's gonna to win out? And what I love about this analogy is that it, it, it describes the relationship that these are actually not in opposition, but they actually work together to actually bring about vine growth. And what, again, I love about it, and this is, I'm going to uh, rant on the, the maybe more the, the trellis folk in the room. Uh, the, the piece I love about it is, is it keeps the focus on the vine. That at the end of the day, the vine is always, always, always the focus and what is most important, what is prevalent, but then, the, again, the trellis is the supportive structure and needs time and actually encourages and helps foster vine growth. Because if you lack trellis, you have this vine that's just growing, 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 and then has nowhere to go. And so it starts to cave in on itself, and it, 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 has, it has no opportunity to actually move forward to where God is maybe desiring to grow. On the other side, you could have over trellis where you're just 
building structures, building structures, building structures, because maybe that's what you like to do. And clearly you have, you know, you made this giant trellis over here, but the vine is growing over here and growing that way. And clearly it's just a, uh, it, it's a, uh, not good use of resources, time, effort, energy. Uh, but in a lot of ways, even creating trellis can actually be impeding on vine growth in a lot of ways. So again, every, uh, they are not in opposition. They work hand in hand. And again, that's why I love, love, the conver- or I, I love this analogy. Now the piece, uh, for most of us, I would argue in this room, that uh, everyone is sort of on a pendulum or a spectrum in this regard. That you know, there, are, there are those who tend to be a little bit more on the uh, under trellis side. Like that's going to be a little bit more of your, you know, your shape. That's going to be maybe more your niche. Or there are going to be those of you that maybe swing a little too far to the over trellis side, that's going to be a little bit more your personality uh, or your makeup, that you're going to see, uh, you're going to see opportunities, you're going to see uh, structures and whatnot, and see them as, hey, let's just, we just got to build this more, we got to do more, we got to put more in place, we got to do this, 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 it's like, whoa, 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 again, where, where are we trying to keep this pendulum at center? So I want to speak a little bit to those of you that are, are maybe admittedly a little bit more on this side, a little bit more on the under trellis, and, and again, I Again, I'm making a generalization, but I'm assuming that's uh, a majority of, of those uh, of you in this room. And, and this, it's not a bad thing. That Usually, again, for a lot of you, uh, your focus and desire is so much on the vine. You love the vine. And that, again, is what, what gave you, that gives you the motivation, what gives us all the motivation to do all of this. And that's a great, great, great thing. Uh, and some of you have possibly even come through church experiences or other, uh, have a history where you maybe experienced uh, the pendulum going too far into over-trellis, that you actually first-handedly saw the implications of what that can do and actually how that can hurt vine growth. And so in a lot of ways, you might have even this sort of uh, adversion to it because of that. And so I want to acknowledge that. And that, it's, again, totally, totally understandable. Again, I know you love the vine, and that's great. And that's great. Uh, so much in fact, but I, I do want to pick on one thing, and this is, this is a, in conversations I have with people, this is a, a reoccurring phrase I feel like I hear a lot, which is uh, primarily in, in new churches and church plants, uh, it's the phrase of, well, you know, we, you know, systems, structures, that's all okay and whatnot, but we, we just really want to be organic. You know, we just really want to be organic. And, and I, I don't mean to bring my inner farmer out on y'all here, but uh, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Uh, you know, I, 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 think, I think I understand the intent behind that, that you, you know, in true definition, you want it to be organic. You want it to be, you know, pure, natural, you know, without, without corruption or other things impeding on it. But I think if we're honest, at the end of the day, what we really mean with this, when we say that, oh yeah, we just want to be organic, it really comes out to mean we have no idea what we're doing. And, and in a lot of ways, it almost can almost be used then to self-justify and say, well, you know, we, we just want to be organic, you know, and be organic means we don't have all this, all this stuff. And so, I, I, again, not to, not to be the, the inner farmer guy, but uh, if you were to see an organic farmer who would just kind of, you know, throw some seeds around, kind of walk away and say, yeah, we're just going to be organic, and, and doesn't have any just plan or forethought for you know, seed selection, soil preparation, irrigation, harvest, you know, all, all the elements that come in with it. Um, you know what we call that person in Minnesota? A poor farmer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so it, it's not, that's not what, that's not what organic means. Uh, and again, the, the 
uh, the, again, the pendulum can swing too far that way where, again, you, you begin to, to think that actually having structure impedes that organicness, and of, of which I would say, no, 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 these, these, work, these work hand in hand. These are uh, two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. And again, if, if, you, don't, if you don't believe me in that regard, just uh, let uh, economics uh, uh, be your convincer. Because if you ever buy anything that is organic, you cannot get anything that is cheap organic because of all the time, energy, extra intentionality that, that often comes with it. Um, so the, the hardest... Um, the, har the hardest part, I, I think, for, for, for guys I've talked to who are, or people I've talked to who are, who are in your camps um, is that in a lot of ways, sort of that mentality of kind of throwing seeds out there, uh, when, you're, when you're growing and we're starting out, it, it can actually, you can still sustain it for a season. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I can actually make organic food for my family. This is, this is actually working. But there comes this tipping point where it's like, okay, well, now, now I have to make organic food for my neighborhood. And suddenly it's like, okay, now, now I can't just let sort of uh, my good intentions be, be the force that's actually driving this forward to that next stage. Uh, and so again, everything we've talked about in our sessions so far, healthy teams, building up elders, leadership development, and, and everything we're going to talk about going forward, um, these are all great areas where I can, I, and I affirm and agree that you want an organic vine. You, you want it to be pure. You want that. There's a high desire. You want the vine to be healthy and to grow. And that is a great, great, great thing. But again, not to do that to such a degree that you discredit or are almost repulsed by the trellis. Because again, these, these go hand in hand. Vine growth and trellis work are together. They are on the same team. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to those of you who may be more on the over-trellis side, those of you who, who would see yourselves more as those systems people, uh, again, love to think things through, love to build, love to create. Again, all great things. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, for a lot of you, I know that your hearts are in good places of, yeah, you buy into this. You buy into that the vine uh, growth is, is prominent. It is the most important thing. And this actually is helping foster that. Um, but to... to I can't pick on those people without picking on, on us, you know, my people, uh, as well in this category. Because I think a thing that I hear in a lot of circles, too, is this concept of efficiency. And, again, I know, I know at, the, at, the, at the bottom core what we're, what we're trying to say with efficiency, but I, I feel like we have a culture that really subverts the definition of efficiency in a lot of way. Uh, and where the tendency can be, by definition, uh, Efficiency is just, you know, in a lot of ways, is simply just how can I get the max output for the least amount of input? And I'm not convinced that is a very, again, in our culture at times, I'm not convinced that's a kingdom value in a lot of ways. Because if you have that definition, I, I almost like to tell people to focus on effectiveness. The effectiveness of, again, are, are you getting a result that's parallel to what you wanted, you know, to your desired product? And in a lot of ways, because uh, I think in how our culture understands efficiency or thinks through efficiency, there are a lot of ways in which discipleship is completely contrary. That suffering is a very inefficient means to a life, you know? It's like, this is just, this is just I'm just wasting my time here. Or, you know, I'm not able to do this. Or the, the journeying with people long term, it's not the most efficient thing. You, you really should just find, the, you know, the three, the three people in your church that you can really labor in that you know aren't going to disappoint you and just do that. You know, leadership development, everything we talked about in a lot of these sessions, if you focus so much on efficiency, it's going to actually combat against 
against that in a lot of ways. So again, the focus, the encouragement I would give is to focus more on effectiveness. Effectiveness is, are you actually getting the result that you desire? Are you actually getting the product that you're aiming to get? And an example of this, to kind of to give some, some practicality of uh, a story when I first came on staff at Hope, uh, we have uh, a lot of our, our we have a, a structure in such a way that our, our staff, at least at that point, met on a weekly basis for about an hour and a half or so. And I remember when I first uh, came on staff and was joining up with that, uh, that team, uh, of that hour and a half meeting, the first half an hour, and again, remember, I'm a systems guy, so I'm coming in of like, well, what's the agenda? I, you know, I didn't see this written before. You know, what, I want to make sure I'm, I'm prepared to think through and all these uh, different things and concerns that we probably have about where we're going as a church. And, and I remember the first half an hour of a lot of those meetings was just relational time. It was our staff joking with one another. It was sharing YouTube videos. You know, it was cats playing piano. And I remember, I remember the, you know, the, the, the part of me that, you know, so efficiency-based, I was like, ah, isn't someone going to do, like, this, what are we doing? This, this has no, that has, this has no value. Why are we watching cats, okay? Uh, but what I got to experience over the course of primarily my, primarily my first year as I get to see how that time of relational connection on a staff level produced so much fruit of trust, camaraderie, love, care, that we actually had a, you know, I hear, I talk with other churches in, in, our, in our area, and I just hear horror stories about how they hate their staff. And I, and I, I just pause and I, I think, gosh, I, I love our staff. Like, we, I mean, we're obviously so different, so there is conflict and we work it through, but man, I, I generally love these people, and I know that they actually generally love me too. And so with that, it, it started to shape my mind to think of, oh my goodness, this, this thing that I originally thought was so inefficient is actually one of the most effective things for producing the result that we want and having a staff that actually generally loves each other and cares for each other. And so again, wanting to focus more on uh, effectiveness versus, versus efficiency. And again, because at the end of the day, to be beat at home, the vine is always the most important. The trellis is just there to support, is there to, to help to foster and to, uh, to help foster growth. And I think the, the dynamic that I, I, I think a lot of you may be in at this point is, is, again, a lot of you are making a generalization, I understand this, but uh, are coming from maybe a more of an under-trellis mentality. That's kind of your personality. might not be your strength. That's totally fine. But my biggest fear is that in your desire to now see that you need trellis, is that you're going to make a knee-jerk reaction, and you're going to go and you're just going to look, some, look for someone who seems to be very trellis-focused. And then you're just going to get them on their staff and say, or, or get, them in, in your, get them in the room for decision-making. And, and you'll just say, oh, this person's great at business. Great, they, they, they should, that should just automatically you know, translate, right? And, and I, I would just uh, argue, as, as Steve has already sort of laid out with uh, the Venn diagram, that I, I would be very, very careful in that process. Uh, be very careful to think through uh, not only the needs of your organization, you know you need trellis, but then in the shape, it's like, yeah, this person's really good at trellis, but then to really, really think through and really be intentional, though, on that chemistry on the team. Really, really think that through. Because one of the worst things you could do is to get someone, uh, you know, get, again, go back to where I, I feel like in a lot of ways is sort of the... Um, the, the generalization of what people think about when kind of trellis and vine that they're in opposition and you kind of get the two people on different sides of the of the you know of the 
boxing arena, and they're just going to duke it out to see who wins. And again, I, and, I, and I know in a lot of Acts 29 circles, if, if you guys are familiar, uh, we use the you know, prophet, priest, king a lot, uh, which is great. I think it's helpful you know, if your personality is more kingly, you're more organizationally focused. You, know, you have personality types of that. If you're more prophetic, you're a little bit more desirous for the word of God to go forth. If you're priestly, you're more, you just have a heart for people, want to intercede for people. And I think, that's, I think it's great. I love personality tests. I, I think they're, they're awesome for helping learn more about yourself, learn team dynamics and whatnot. But I think the, the dark side of that coin is if it can very easily cross over to where then uh, you say, oh, I'm a king, and so now I'm exempt to sort of these prophetic or priestly qualities. And what I would say is when you're looking for a king, when you're looking for someone to maybe help with this trellis, you need to be looking for a prophetic priestly king. Like I, I would say that's a non-negotiable. Because again, if, if the person doesn't have the mentality that that the vine is the most important thing, it's going to create a lot, of, a lot of conflict. Because again, at the end of the day, the vine is the focus. The vine is why we're here. That's as Steve started, that, sharing the verses. That, that's why we're, why we're even at this conference. So, so that's for the first sort of analogy to kind of work through. And, and uh, just again, for helping frame it, framing uh, the conversation. And, and this has been so influential for, for us at Hope in such a way that we don't even talk about, or we actually tr- changed our terminology at our church to reflect this. That we, we actually use the terms trellis and vine because we so much want this analogy to, to remain prevalent on our, our staff and our leadership that, again, these are on the same team. They're working together. How are we uh, thinking this through? Uh, so then the second analogy, I'm going to kind of abruptly shift gears, was, <clears throat> was actually shared yesterday to a little bit of degree. Because you might be saying, okay, this is great. This kind of gives me a little bit of a framework on how to have this conversation or at least think this through. But when I'm thinking through very practically, what am I going to do about fill in the blank? You know, am I going to have a children's ministry? Am I, am I going to have small groups? You know, anything that comes out to how do I actually make practical decisions about what this trellis is going to look like? What is sort of a framework or what, what is a way in which to actually have that conversation or a way to actually think about, uh, about those conversations? And so the analogy that we, Steve shared very briefly, I think in kind of the Q&A session, is, is this that we use a lot. We use this all the time at, at Hope. And we just call it the iceberg analogy. And the rationale for the analogy is, you know, with any iceberg, you just you see the top 10%. And there's so much more that goes, goes, on, uh, goes on underneath. And so what we like to do that, uh, what we focus on that for is because in a lot of your activities, your models, the things that you're going to actually do, uh, this is what people are going to see, but you need to be able to know kind of what's your rationale of why you're doing them, what's going on beneath the surface, what actually uh, brings that about. And so I want to walk you through, uh, through this analogy. It's very, it's very simple. It's not, it's not rocket science, but it's at least it helps give us a framework when we're having those conversations. So it might be helpful to you, might be not. And so how we, how we kind of divide the, <clears throat> the iceberg is, is really in four, four components. And I, I think, Reed, I think you were the one that brought this up before. Uh, at, at the core of the iceberg are your values. These are your convictions, and, and, and for all of us in the room, uh, this is going to be, in a lot of ways, these are going to be our, 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 our scriptural convictions. These are going to be things that we are passionate about, that, that we feel like is in aligned with God's heart. And so if you were to poll everyone in this room, I'm guessing at the end of the day, all our values are going to be pretty much on the same page, right? But from your values, you then go up to principles, and principles are really 
from, you know, kind of building on top of your values. These, this is sort of thinking through, okay, in my culture, in my context, looking at experience or, or just history and what has worked for other churches and not, you know, what are some of the principles that I'm actually going to extract or, or come to believe uh, from, from this value? And, and again, I'll, I'll give it, an, I'll give it a, an example to kind of walk these through, so hopefully that'll flush this out a little bit more. So again, you start values, and then you build on the principles. And then from there, you start to actually think through. So your, your principles, I, I, I'd equate it more of like your lens. Like this is, you know, you have your, your values, which is going to be very scripture dependent uh, in a lot of ways at your church. But then your, your, your principles are like the lens of which you're looking at, those princi- or looking at those values through. Again, in your context, where you're at. Or then you go to strategies, which that is okay, saying, hey, we, we have this value, we have this principle that we're buying into. What are we actually going to do? What is kind of our, our, our larger strategy and actually how to accomplish it? How are we going to be, how are we going to uh, reach effectiveness or, you know, processing and moving forward in that direction? Or then that leads to then your activity, which is what is, you know, the one component or a component of your overall strategy. But again, that's what's over the iceberg. That's what people see. That's what people come to understand or know. And so, again, I'll, get, I'll give an a, a example, of how, how this, uh, example of how this plays out. Maybe this will make it more clear or more confusing. I don't know. Uh, so core value. Core value we have at Hope is discipleship. You know, we're going we're gonna to make it real broad. We, we think that being a disciple of Jesus, actually, a version statement is to help as many people as possible become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, really focusing on discipleship. Now, our lens that we're looking at through, one of the key elements that, that we've processed just in our culture and, and how we do things and in our philosophy is that we feel like discipleship actually happens most effectively in community. And so what, we're gonna, and so what we mean by that in a little ways is that instead of having a very linear structure in our discipleship you know, model, um, that, that some would say, it's like, yeah, you have, you're, you're kinda, you have your second Timothy 2, you know, these people, they pour into these three, and these pour into these three, and these pour into these three. It's like, yeah, and in our context, that's, that's just, we, we don't think like that's the most effective. And so we actually think that discipleship actually happens most effective by community, that you have a lot of, you have gospel friends pouring in your life, you have a lot of different people uh, giving wisdom and insight, and that is actually going to help, uh, uh, help you in your, in your discipleship process. And so one of our strategies then from that, again, that's our principle that we're buying into, uh, one of our strategies from that is then, okay, from there, what, what is sort of our strategy to give a lot of people opportunities to have a lot of uh, discipleship or gospel in community? What is that, what is that actually going to look like? That's going to be our, our strategy, though, but how, what, what are some of those opportunities or that, what's that going to be, uh, what is that actually going to look like? And then one of our activities or one little piece of that overall puzzle from that is like, yeah, we're, we're really going to highlight small groups. Small groups is a great way for us that you actually get together with other people. You really do life with them, that they actually get to know you, uh, you get to know them, and, and you begin to refine one another and, and again, just be a gospel friend. But now, now, gospel, now small groups, so then people ask, so, well, is small groups, is that your discipleship, strat- or is that your discipleship process? It's like, no, 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 we... We, we think it's a part of the strategy. We don't think it's the only part of the strategy, though we're going to say it's maybe a good, good portion of it. Uh, but again, our overall strategy, again, you've you got to keep going down the iceberg. Because again, what you're going to see above is just that activity. And so what, what's helpful for us in this is, is uh, primarily twofold. One, when, this, when you are in the process of making decisions, 
it is a really helpful decision-making tool because as you're processing maybe some of these activities or models that you've heard other churches use, you really have to back up and say, okay, we've got to walk this through in our context. What does this look like? Is this sort of a philosophy of ministry or is this, is this congruent with what we desire to do? And so I, I think this was a question that was posed yesterday when this came up was, you know, how, how do you think about model compared to biblical convictions and how does this work? And it's like, yeah, th- this is really how we think about it. We think that, again, our biblical convictions are the, are the bedrock. But from there, you know, you kind of see it through your lens of your context and then you create strategies and models. And in, the same, in a lot of ways, the, the, the base is far more secure and, and our, our values at really any point in our history are really never going to change. Those, those are always going to be uh, those are going to be pretty stable. But when you look at the actual activities, small groups, not small groups, children's ministries, you know, what's that going to look like? Do we have uh, Wednesday night deals? Do we not have Wednesday night? You know, all of those activities, man, that, that, that changes almost, uh, almost constantly. That's always being evaluated. And so in a lot, of, again, in your decision-making process, of, are you going to do something? How are you going to do it? This is a great tool for thinking that through, as well as then actually evaluating what do you do because I, I, I know uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust your hearts are in the same place with me in this way, but the worst thing that I uh, want for any of you is for uh, you to do things in your church that you have no idea why you're doing them. And just to do things and your rationale for why are we doing it becomes, well, that's, what's we, that's just what we've always done. It's like, no, 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 no. That, that's, not, that's not organic. That's not intentional. That's not actually taking a lot of time and energy to think this through. And so we use this for, again, of a lot of our decision-making uh, uh, conversations. But also, again, twofold, it's, a, it's an amazing discipleship uh, tool as well. Because as you begin to grow, these conversations, and this is more apparent when you're going to get criticism. Because people, again, are going to see the top, right? They're going to see the activity, and they're going to criticize you and say, why do you do that? Or why don't you do something and in a lot of ways, no longer as you grow, no longer is it going to be you having those conversations and walking people through this process. It's going to be your staff. It's going to be your volunteers. It's going to be your leaders. And so how are you training them to have these conversations? Because the last thing all of us want to do, and I think it can be easy to do, is just to say, oh, you don't like our model? Well, there's the door. It's like, no, 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 no. God, God calls us to shepherd people. And, and it is healthy for, for people to say, like, yeah, this isn't a good fit for me. But have we done the hard work of actually walking people through the rationale of why we do what we do? We feel like that is, that is a part of discipleship. That is a part of shepherding our flocks well. So again, share, share those, those two analogies, again, as, as ways of tools, uh, of just hoping to help frame, frame that conversation of trellis and vine, and how do you actually walk through and make, make some of these decisions. So with that, I'm actually going to ask Steve to uh, come back up. Uh, and then we'll, we'll open it up to just some, some Q&A on this. I know, again, I know we're, talking, we're talking more philosophy, we're talking more theory, uh, so I know we didn't get into a lot of practicality. Just so you know, uh, our next session is going to be um, primarily on how, how to do a lot of this, uh, how, to, a lot of, how to do trellis work, whether you're good at it or not, and so I think that'll flush out a lot of uh, great practical questions if you're struggling with that kind of personally, too, just, just FYI. But any, any questions...
Oh, yeah, I, I, all I, the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, yeah. Those. That's why I don't. I know the. I know that I know that I know, the values. I think I know the principles. Most of my strategies are the most dumbass things you ever thought of. And then what we do. It doesn't even go well according no, to the strategy. No. So. Because uh, you got to kind of realize that I'm not trying to get too postmodern here, but your level of certainty as you go up this thing gets a lot less. And then you hold your actions. When somebody criticizes your actions, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I'm just trying this because I think this will work. Oh, man, we have tons of failures. Uh, tons of failures. It, to this day, we're still messing up on stuff. And that's because, uh, like I say, the further you go up there. But the, the values, you know that you know that you know them. You're just, yeah. But that's where humility comes in, too, in saying, I don't know what we should do here, but we got to do something. And what we often use on our staff is a line from the movie Argo. Have you ever seen the movie Argo? Where when they come to that, that CIA agent and they and they say, "Here's our idea. We want to get uh, we want to do the one idea was the bicycles, and the other one is make a movie." And he says, "I got 70 of the smartest people in the planet trying to figure out how to get these hostages out of out of uh, Iran, and the best you come up with is bicycles and movie making." And, and I love Ben Affleck's line. He says, sir, there are no good ideas. These are the best of the bad ones. We use that line all the time. There, there's no good answer here. This is just the best of the bad ideas that we have. And I think if you bring that out, I mean, we've used that. We raised $2, two million or uh, one point, whatever it was we raised, and, and telling our people, there's no good solution for our growth problem. We're going to buy the building next to us, and we're going to do church in two buildings. And that's a bad idea. Can you give us your money for that? <laughs> we acknowledge it. This is not the best idea, but there is no good idea. We're in downtown Minneapolis. Last time I checked, it's pretty expensive, downtown Minneapolis. So what are we going to do? I don't know. This is an idea. Anybody got a better one? Nope. Best of the bad ideas. Let's do that. Let's buy it. Let's remodel it. Let's do church in two buildings right next to each other. So, yeah, but you, you're humble with your people. You don't, uh, and then again, I said this yesterday, don't attach Bible verses to your activities because they're probably not very good, and you're going to change them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we would separate all of our, I'm trying to think if there's anything that would be in its, in its essence solely trellis and solely, solely vine. Because even like communication, it's like, no, we, communication is a, ability to communicate is a vine, qua, I mean, it fosters, there's vine growth to it, but there's probably more trellis with it. So I don't think we, we necessarily dissect ministries as saying, this is trellis, this is vine, this is trellis, this is vine, this is trellis. But of your, of your ministry, you know, what, uh, what, what, what is the vine doing? What does the vine need help? What trellis could in, be added to help with that? What, or are you maybe over-trellising? So I, I think it's more uh, trellis and vine together in conversations of evaluation. Would you? Let me add one thing we learned the hard way. Uh, no one on our staff is hired to just do trellis, though. We yeah. learn that the hard way because I think trellis people then start to resent 
the youth minister that never fills out his, his <laughs> maybe I'm just picking on our youth minister, but, uh, <laughs> or everyone we've ever had, but uh, they all are involved and are paid for certain times to get together with people that's complicated and difficult, so they're in the thick of it. No one, including our director of operations, right? Yep. She has, and she's great at what she does. She could just do that and probably still be okay, but we've said, no way. We want you to get out with messy people and be with them. Mm. We want to pay you to be part of these ministries so that you understand why you're doing the books and the schedules and the website and the buildings and the, you know, all that. So. We do, we do. Um, you know, we have sort of core values, what we call it in our, in our Constitution bylaws. And so we have seven of them, but I, I don't think they're exhaustive. Uh, and so there's a lot of, lot of values that we hold that I would say are beyond that, that would still, we'd still constitute as values. It's the goop. It's the goop in a lot of ways. Yep. And so it's identifying that, which is hard. It's hard. Um, but yeah, so that's why, that's why we, um, yeah, we call them values more than our kind of our core values because we have core values, which are values. But we have values that we have values that are not core values. You know, A is A is B and B is C, but A is not equal to C. Anyone? 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 Wow. Thanks. Math joke. Ha ha ha. I had to work it in. I don't know if I, yeah, I have a, one that comes to mind just to, <clears throat> we in our, uh, sort of our, our end that is trying to look toward a little bit more on the global missions, uh, global church planning side of things, um, there, was a, a, there, was, there was a team that was developed to sort of function and produce that time, or kind of, kind of own that, that, that end of things, and I would say... Um, what over-trellising for them looked like is they would have monthly meetings uh, that were just not necessary. I mean, it's great to meet monthly, but it's just, you know, they would have exhaustive meeting minutes. They would uh, really plan out these really elaborate events. They would do this. They, I mean, they, they would just, they would put a lot in time and energy into making a plan. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, who, who's actually in the pipeline doing that? You know, it's like, well, we have... We have this giant structure and, you know, these three people that are kind of doing, it, it just, it seemed like, it's like, well, I, I think right now we need to focus more on, on Vine of, of, of culture and communication and, and vision in this area versus kind of this supportive structure that, you know, we create this massive pipeline that could, uh, you know, foster 150 applicants. It's like, well, we got, we got two. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily what we need right now and not where our energy is best placed. Let me get real specific for two to four hundred, because you're having to do something you've never had to do, and that's write policies, right? Matt even said it here. We don't have policies, yeah, so that's interesting. So, but we do, but they're just unwritten in Acts 29. We have, we have. So, you're going to be in the process now where you're going to be writing policies, and I'm the guy that always says, I, I think that's fine as long as what you mean by policy is we're trying to communicate our culture. And these are our best guests in words to express that culture. These are not rules that we're going to bang each other over the head on that we're not, you know, 
following. Now, yeah, you can't smoke in the building. That's actually a Minnesota state law, so that's an easy policy, right? Um, but some of those things you, you, you have, and we have an employee handbook and it's filled with policies, right? But you're trying to communicate the culture, and those are all in very, very, uh, those are in pencil that can be erased easily because uh, we don't want to overdo it with, with some of these things. So, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I always fight against that. Yeah. I like to say, let's, let's, ah, let's not go there. If you want to talk more about policies, I can. I mean, one quick, quick thing that I, I would think at this stage too, probably where that's going to flush itself out more is in time. Uh, time that you're asking of, of volunteers, leaders, whatever that, and that's where, that's where it gets really hard because we all face the tension, right, of on one side, if you could have, you know, all of your elders meet weekly to discuss eight hours worth of, you know, vision and shepherding, it's like, oh, that, that'd be awesome, but this is not realistic. So it's sort of this, where, where is that tension between sort of I, I, idealist, uh, but realistic at the same time, and, and where does that pendulum shift? Because I, I think we're, at least at this stage, where a lot of maybe over trellis, obviously, in that regard would be, it's like, yeah, if, if you're yoking, uh, you know, an eight-hour meeting per week on your elders, it's like, yeah, I, I think, I don't think you need to do that as much. I think you could actually tone that back. And so, but again, that it, then it becomes the hard work in your context. What is that, what is finding that pendulum in middle actually look like? Let me say one more thing and then I'll take it with you. Uh, remember what an organic farmer does is it protects this seed from outside sources which would hinder it being natural. We don't want unhealthy growth. We want natural growth. That's what your policies and structures should do. Not the opposite is so define every single possible hindrance. You're, you can't do that. So, yeah. Uh, same table. Yeah. That's Huge, huge. Did anyone hear that? It was just uh, referring to, again, one of the hard the difficulties in a lot of ways, the people who have sort of the gauge on, you know, the pulse on where trellis is are going to be the, the trellis folk. And so what, what helps them sort of stay centered, stay anchored uh, to the vine and, and just making sure, again, goes back to the piece of you want priestly prophetic kings and people who are in that, in that as well. Amen. Yeah. He, he, this is one of my passions, actually, because when I wrestled with the Lord, we, we, we went past my favorite number, 300, okay? And I said, God, I, that's not what I want. I don't think I'm good at that. And uh, so we made an agreement. <laughs> and the agreement was this, is that it's his job to let this church be whatever numerical number it's supposed to be. That's fine. But I've said that we are going to be about the gospel in the context of community on mission. In other words, 
We're not going to be a church where people just go on Sunday mornings and get a dog and pony show over my dead body. We got enough of those in Minneapolis. We're the number one place in the United States per capita for mega churches. I have no interest in that. I want, if you're here, I want to push you into gospel friendships in your life. Okay? So that's a high value, and there's definitely going to be principles. We're going to hinder growth at times. We're not going to add services at times because we don't feel like we're doing a good enough job. We're going to hinder that because of that. So I would say you hold on to what made you you. Please, I beg you, don't become something you're not. And that's contrary to what you're going to hear someplace. They're going to say, ah, as you keep growing, you got to do this now. Baloney. You stay who you are. But you're bigger now, right? There's a reality. You used to be four people that, you know, went to the bar and ordered a Guinness and had four straws because you were cheap. You were, you were poor. And now you've got 25 people and you're having them over to your house. It's a different dynamic, right? But the value should be the same. Keep your values. The trick and what keeps you up at night is trying to think about how do we do that now in a different setting? How do we do that now and keep this? So mm-hmm. do not lose what you have. Uh, uh, the activities are going to change, but do not lose your, your who you are because that's who you are. Yeah. And I always say that's why we highlight just, and again, you can use whatever analogy you want, but we, we use the iceberg analogy. That's why we feel like it's such an important discipleship tool because, again, people are, what do people see? They see your activities. And so when you start to change your activities, the assumption that people make is therefore you're changing who you are. And so to really work, you have to spend a lot of time walking them through this and saying, no, 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 this is why we originally started doing this, and this is why we're changing and, and you know, again, walking them through uh, and processing through that with them to, again, to affirm and just to, to hold the rudder of saying, like, yeah, we're not going to change in this regard. Is there another one over here? Yeah. I didn't say don't. I said. <laughs> I, I didn't say don't. I, s- I, I just wouldn't think it'd be the first, necessarily the first decision. And if you're going to, it's not going to be uh, like what he does. Don't think you're going to get what he does. Uh, that's why I came up for Q&A, because he wasn't there for two to 400 uh, no. in his role. I was I was attending the church. Yeah, well, I'm saying it had been 2010 or uh, 2004. How? It'd probably been about. We just moved downtown. We're about 400. About 400. Yeah, it'd have been about 400. Yeah, it does. I think across the table here, uh, across the whole room, you're going to have different degrees of how good you are at trellis. Some of you, quite honestly, could do this for a long time. You're very good. In fact, Leonce, who's going to come next, is very good at trellis. Uh, And so Reed, very good at trellis. A lot of you guys are very good. You can think this stuff through. It's just too much for you to do, though, so you need to get people around you. One of the key pieces, I don't care who it is. Remember what what I tell you the first day? Trust is your currency. I, I go into your office, we talk every day, right, mm-hmm. pretty much. And I just, <laughs> I just sit down and start talking about whatever, and then I know if he's got things on his radar, 
We're going to talk, and I got things on my radar. We're going to talk. I go into Corps' office almost every day. Step in there. And we talk all the time because trust is earned. Grace is free. Trust is earned. And that happens because of what Eugene Peterson says, long obedience in the same direction. I keep doing that. So I don't care if it's a paid person or non-paid person. You better have a lot of communication. I don't really care how good you are at it. Right? I don't care how good you are at trellis. There's got to be this. And, and John knows that I reserve the right because I'm, I'm paid. The, the number one thing I do is create culture, right? I'm, it's okay for me to say, I don't like that the worship folders change to green. I, that's a cultural issue. It's not just my preference. I just, that doesn't work in my, I don't know why. I, don't, I brought that up. We didn't do that. But you know what I'm saying? I, I reserve that right to talk about whether that's a cultural issue, even though it seems like micromanaging. I reserve the right to speak into that. And everybody on our staff knows that. But I better explain, not just because I don't like green. It's like, well, here's why. I'm thinking, I don't know, that's a bad example. But So <clears throat> that's the big piece. Do not, do not hand this over to somebody and say, you build it. That is a recipe for disaster. That's why people hire executive pastors. Then they say, you run the church and I'll preach. And they hate each other two or years later. So be careful of that. If, if Satan were going to attack our church, he'd attack it here, he'd attack it here, and he'd attack it there. That's where yeah. he would go after this church. And so, and he can hear us right now, and so we know that he knows that. And he knows that we know that he knows that. And we know that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick question. You We've oh, stolen gosh. everything. We've, I would say, do we, we don't have, have an original, original thought in our life? Yeah, no, I think I did have one original thing, and I was like, ooh, Trichler's Law? Yeah, and then he said, oh, Bunny. And so, yeah, yeah then he yeah, lost yeah. it. Lost it. Yeah. No, we've totally, uh, this came from, we modified this from a friend of ours. Um, it's kind of taken from an article by Gene Getz, although we don't like the way he talks about it in one yeah, of his books. We kind of tweaked it. I, that's why I'm telling you, models that you're going to see out there, you've got to tweak them all. But we don't trademark anything. Anything we have, we don't even know where it came from, but we did steal it. So, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Otherwise, we'd old. Larry Osborne calls it dumb tax. Learn from other people's dumb tax so you don't pay it again. And unfortunately, we do that. So learn. A lot of times when you get in rooms like this, we share our dumb ideas. Or you read somebody's book about how they did ministry. And it's funny. You go visit that church two years later. They're not doing what they wrote in the book about. So don't ever copy what people do. Talk about the principles. Learn the principles. Then figure out. Then do the hard work of exegeting your culture and your team and what you should do. That's the hard work of leadership. Don't just copy, you know, whatever they do. Somebody over here. Yeah. Let me see if I understand the question. The question is, how do you create the systems in your church, the major systems or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote Larry. Who, David Paulson was yesterday, but Larry Osborne is kind of my guy. He says, as a senior leader, you've got to kind of know your number. What's your number? And my number's four. 
In other words, I like four people in the room. Four is my number. So we got four staff members. This isn't, it's, it's a think tank. So it's these three of us and then another, our, our small groups, uh, what does she do? She's coordinator. She's, she's a king home. off the charts. I bring up a problem. She's, yeah, uh, she's a king off the charts. I bring up a problem. She's already literally putting a spreadsheet together to fix it. Sometimes I say, stop, stop. You're ahead of me. I don't want that. But that's, we have her in the room because she drives me crazy and we're different. So that's good, right? That's my number. Your number might be three. Your number might be two. Your number might be seven, whatever. You got to know how you, and then we think through the overall, we call it the 30K group. We're thinking this thing from a large level. What are the implications? What are the unintended consequences of these, bad, these decisions that are bad, but we have to do it, but we're aware of them. We're trying to be aware of them. So then we think that through. Then, like I said, have porousness to the people that need to implement. Hey, we're thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts? Don't just tell them. Nobody likes to be voluntold. To tell, you know, to, what are your thoughts? Here's what we're at. But some people are terrible at that process of thinking all that stuff through. And they're, they're painful to have in the room, I'm going to be honest. So you've got to know your number and who the right people in the room are for that. I don't know if that answered your question. Okay. Yeah, we have a flow chart. It's really messy. Hard an org chart. We yeah, don't do flow charts, yeah, yeah, yeah chart. kind of an or yeah. I mean, similar concept, kind of a decision making matrix, kind of how that works. It's it's uh, it's hard because we, <clears throat> and I think Steve mentioned this. We, we staff we staff people, not positions, and so it's hard is that this person is kind of a part of this team that's kind of doing this, but then let's say a year from now these two people leave, and it's like, well, we're not just going to take the. We, they don't, their positions don't even exist anymore because when we brought someone else on, we re-Tetris the whole thing, so we got to have to kind of play it out. So it changes a lot in that regard, and it, it, it gets a little messy. But we do think it through. I mean, it is... You, it's you want, you, you, Yeah, it's very, it's effective, very effective, and it's, and it's very clear, clear in, in the sense that we know which team does what, and, you know, responsibility. Expectations are very clear. However, if you, you, know, you throw it on paper, it looks, you know, like spaghetti exploded. We're going to break right there just because uh, we got 15 minutes here for a break. Leonce is going to come here at noon. Uh, he's going to talk about how, as, a, as a leaders, how we help lead our churches uh, through this issue of trellis, uh, whether you're good at it or not. And so he'll come and talk about that. You got 15 minutes? We'll see you at noon.